if you like betting on golf. But everyone that you back misses the cut, get some experts involved. With all the stats and the tips and so much more, cause it's the golf betting system, the golf betting system, it's the golf betting system podcast. Greetings and welcome to the Golf Betting System Podcast 138. Paul Williams and Barry O'Hanrahan are with me to discuss who we are backing at the Vivint Houston Open on the PGA Tour and the Cyprus Showdown on the European Tour. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, guys. Morning, guys. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. Please be gamble aware. You can Visit BeGambleAware.org for more information. And, of course, please bet responsibly. Visit our world-famous golf betting system website with our in-depth betting previews, masses of tournament stats, and our predictor models, all available completely free of charge with no paywall. Please subscribe to this podcast and drive the popularity of the show. We're available on social media. You can cheer Barry up on at a good talk golf. We're, we're deep, deep into our COVID lockdown. Well, Barry is, and we're just about to go into one here in the UK. Um, I'm available at Bamford Golf. Paul is available at Golf Betting. You can join our Golf Betting System Facebook group. The link is available in the description box. Plus, look out for the Steve Bamford Golf YouTube channel where I present the Golf Betting Show every week. Now, as I say at the start of every show, please take time and to rate and five-star review us on Apple Podcasts. And this week would be fantastic because we have two... I keep getting asked this, gentlemen. What Masters content are you doing? Well, we're going to do two Masters podcasts, one this week and then one next Tuesday for the 2020 Masters. So any reviews that come in, I promise to read them out at the start of our Masters podcasts, which will be very, very popular. So, please give us a five-star review. Here's one. It's from Oliver's Twisters. He's <laughs> in the United States of America. Good name. I know, Oliver's Good Twisters. Name. Yeah. Uh, t- entitled, Wow Guys! Exclamation mark! Five stars. The depth of information you guys provide has allowed me to only feel the need to listen to one golf podcast instead of multiple. Wow. Can't believe your website isn't behind a paywall also. Also, enjoy the soothing British accent. We we sound a bit different here in East Tennessee. So thank you for that, Oliver's Twisters. I think that's the first time you've been described as soothing, Steve. He's not talking about me. (laughs) He's talking... His British accent, he must be describing Barry. Yeah, Exactly. (laughs) Oh, dear. East speak to, Tennessee. Yeah, speak that, to be Queen's fair, though, that, that is an outstanding review when he's saying that he used to listen to multiple podcasts and now mm. he only listens to us. Yeah, very good. Many I don't know things. if that's good or dangerous. There's another way to get through multiple podcasts, just play them on a faster speed. <laughs> that's but it's, yeah, it's a, down to one podcast. That's good. Mm. There are so many out there, so appreciate you tuning into this one. Definitely. Last week, uh, I was dry on the Bermuda. Peter, Ma- Peter Malnati started well. Then he started faffing about when the wind came. Mm. First round leader, um, first round leader Malnati, wasn't he? He was. 
Uh, I had Scott Pearcey, who was also right in the mix. I think they were both in the top ten come Saturday. Mm. <laughs> Excuse me. And then they did absolutely nothing Saturday. And then Pearcey was... I think Malnati was still in the hunt. I needed him to shoot five, six under, but he shot level. And it was Pearcey that shot five under. Pearcey, his putting's really poor at the moment, but his tee to green game's really good. Um, but yes, short golf course, coastal golf course, howling wind... Uh, Friday and Saturday so those rounds have been um, recorded and put onto our wind uh, five year statistic for the predictor model because that, that wind was certainly howling on the mm, Friday yeah. Yeah. Um, and it just as a, it, you know two winners one Brendan Todd one Brian Gay they, they are effectively the same players aren't they yeah style wise yeah it's impressive from Gay because he's uh Incoming form was really, really poor. And, um, I don't know if you saw the post-round interview when he talked about how he'd been playing since lockdown, but uh, basically saying that he's been playing really, really badly. But you get him to a track which uh, which suits him, which appeals uh, to his uh, mm. to his strengths. Clearly, he played well um, the year before, and he? he finished third or fourth or something like that the year before. And uh, yeah, it all comes flooding back. Um, Thought he'd blown it when he got to that. Uh, what was it the, the the par five where he made both seventeen? Right, yeah, right towards the end. But uh, incredible birdie on the last to uh, get in the playoff, and uh, he makes the putt in the playoff. And we know he can putt. With one thing we know about Brian Gay is that boy can putt. And, uh, that that wedge shot to eighteen in regulation <laughs> after pulling the previous one. I know it was into the wind on seventeen, but to. Like he absolutely flushed that on eighteen. You could hear it and see it, and you just had a feeling it was dropping close. Uh, and you felt you like if you felt great from seeing him do it as well. After the so often, like you, you, a golfer has a disappointment and the chance for redemption, and it just doesn't happen because golf is a dick. Mm. But it, it wasn't on Sunday for Brian Gay, and it was kind of a it was a cool thing to see him uh, immediately bounce back with that birdie and and give himself a chance. Yeah. Yeah, and he knew you knew the shot was good, didn't he? From the second he left his uh, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could see it in his well, it threw his sunglasses into his <laughs> eyes, but yeah, yeah, it was golf. Uh, golf betters and golf punters have been hot on Wyndham Clark for a while, haven't they? Mm, I can yeah. remember. Was it the three M Open last year when he when he was up there after fifty four holes with Deschambeau, with Wolf, with Colin Morikawa? And he blew up badly on the Sunday. Yeah, he looked really wobbly coming down the street. But he's one of those, isn't he? He's absolutely monstrous off the tee and he can putt. <laughs> Everything in between's a bit iffy. But when he actually finds form with those approach shots and the around the green game as well, he's a, he's a dangerous animal, Wyndham Clark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How do you think win, he'll bounce it? back this week? Because um, clearly sure. on this golf course in Houston, which I, get, I think is going to be... A bomber's paradise to a certain extent. Mm. It, it's right up his street again. Yeah, yeah, and this is always the question, isn't it? That can mm. can players shrug off that disappointment immediately and get back into contending form, or does it take a week or two? Less so on the PGA Tour. I think the players on the PGA Tour are a little bit better in that respect. You often see on the European Tour a player who finishes kind of third or fifth or whatever miscut the following week and then um, maybe back to contention the, the start after that but uh, I think the P, the PGA Tour players are generally a little bit better but yeah difficult one every calls, time I back the week after a player that's been in a playoff they play awful mm. so I expect Wyndham Clark to win this week 
should maybe change that strategy, Steve. It doesn't sound very profitable. <laughs> well, no, that's that's why I'm back to this one. <laughs> that's, um, that's another post-it note for the wall, Esther. Yeah. About 30, I'm looking at them right now. Um, <laughs> the only thing I will say about Brian Gay, he missed the cut by, I think it was a shot or two, at TPC Summon in the Shriners. Don't forget that was an eight-under cut, or seven-under. It was something crazy. And he the, the thing he'd found was the putter. And then he goes to a course he likes. Bear in mind, wasn't he on five, six straight miscuts? Goes to a course he likes, the wind blows, and lo and behold, it's back to the old Brian Gay. That is five PGA Tour victories for Brian Gay now. Four of them on Bermuda grass. Yeah, no, it's good. It's, it's only a couple of years off the seniors as well, isn't he? So it's going to be another one who's competitive on the what generally shorter tracks that they play on the seniors yeah. when he gets there. Do you want to talk about Cyprus, Paul? What, one and, second, and your, though. And, I... and poor old Sammy Falamaki. Yeah, no, let, let Barry talk first, please. Well, just on, have it, like, one more point, just to raise about the, the short-hitting guys. Mm-hmm. I, I find it, like, they, they almost deserve extra credit because they only have a certain amount of tournaments each year, and mm-hmm. which are becoming fewer and further between, that they have a genuine chance of winning. So, like, just pick two off the top of your head. Tar- Harbour Town there and last week there in Bermuda. And for these short guys to pop up and, and, and perform so well in that one week, mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of admirable that they have that one chance and that they don't kind of succumb to the pressure. I mean, obviously a few of them succumb to the pressure, but for one or two of them to get up there and do, and do what they do on the short courses is remarkable. But it also kind of guides me to the point that these tour pros are... Like they're so close all the time to just finding that one little trigger or one thing to click. Um, I mean, case in point, Ollie, Ollie Schneiderjans hasn't been having the best of times. It, I suppose that's fair to say. His brother's in the field last week and for some reason that gave him a kick up the arse and he plays brilliantly and finishes, what was it, third? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just that little mental trigger, that one thing. So, you know, back to your strokes gained mental game, Steve. Um, if we could have that one factor, you could throw all the other stats out the window. Yeah, and this is often part of the narrative, isn't it? When when you're trying to decide between a short list of players, and if you can pick on these, um, you know, narrative points that may well influence a player, then. Um, it, you know, it's either a stroke of genius when you pluck the right one out, or it's um, you know it falls flat in its face. But but certainly with these shorter tracks, um, players who would ordinarily not be able to compete on some of the more regular PGA Tour uh, venues simply because they're too long. When they come to these tracks, you know, but it, for them it must be a target. It must be a mental and peaking target for them to get to the point where they're going to be able to can be be competitive. Mm. on these tracks that really do suit their game. And, uh, you know, case in point last week with Brian Gay, once again, um, if you can overlook, and plenty of people did, I saw lots and lots of winning tickets last week um, on the Facebook group, on the on Twitter mm-hmm. as well, um, where people had looked at his previous course form um, and, and looked at the price. And just blindly yeah, at 200 yeah. to 1. Look, look, looked at his price and thought, well, you know, at 200 to 1, I'm willing to overlook the fact that he's missed four cuts in the trot or whatever the number was. And, and the reward's there if you can, if you can overlook that. It's, um, it's another useful uh, pointer, isn't it? It's not, another thing to put in the, in, in the back of the mind for when these quirky events come round. Clearly on the PGA Tour, we've now got uh, the Masters next week. Where um, you know, you, I think you need to be kind of Bryson DeChambeau long 
next week potentially. We then got the the conclusion of the Ireland tour. So you've got uh, El Chameleon for the OA, uh, the Mayakoba Classic, and you've then got the RSM Classic, two golf courses again where you can be as short as you want and still mm. be very competitive. And so I, you know, players that aren't long off the tee can thrive on the PGA Tour this time of year. And you look at Brian Go. I mean, he's just locked up what effectively a three-year exemption. Oh yeah, it takes him through to the seniors. That's the, yep. the and he's playing the Masters next year. <laughs> can you imagine nice Brian Gay, Brian Go around Augusta National? Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm not sure he's going to be winning that. But uh... he'll be approaching most of those par fours with driver. <laughs> he's just going to have like driver. Yeah. Two wood, yeah, three driver. wood, four wood, five wood, and yeah. three driver, hybrids, one wedge, and a putter. Yeah, you never know. He might go on the Bryson diet over the next uh, six months. <laughs> he probably needs to grow about seven inches in height as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, Sammy. Sammy Falamaki. Oh, so, yes, yes. Thanks, thanks for reminding me, Steve. Yeah, it, it, disappointment, wasn't it? And uh, that second week on the trot, really, the the kind of consensus pick across the. Um, the whole of golf betting, Twitter certainly. Um, previously, the week before, everyone was on Adrian House and uh, he, he could have won. Um, he just played the par fives poorly. Last week, Sammy Valamaki, who opened at 50 to 1, which I snared a little bit of before that disappeared, um, he went off around about 25 to 1 after every, everyone, in the, everyone in the world had, uh, had backed him. You started the trend, though, Paul. You said. <laughs> On the post Wentworth podcast, watch out for Sammy Falamaki. He played unbelievable golf yeah. at the BMW PGA. Yeah, he led the field for greens and regulation, which was uh, a real eye catcher. And uh, fifty to one was a gift. I mean, it, it was it, it was the it, you know the, the price had to be taken. Um, three shots clear part of the way through Friday, and um, two shots clear after he played the eleventh on Sunday, and uh, it was trading around about one point six, or was that six to four on that kind of that kind of price? And, and then made three bogeys and four holes and, and lost it. <laughs> and, and by the time he teed up on the seventeenth, um, he couldn't win because he needed to make uh, holding one eagle because Chinkman had just finished birdie eagle and uh, and put himself four strokes ahead. It was um, you know, it, it changed so dramatically and so quickly in that last ninety minutes or so. Um, very, very annoying and very frustrating. Not just for me. Um, as I say, there were an awful lot of people who were on Valimaki too. And um, yeah, these kind of consensus picks, the ones where absolutely everyone's on them, they, they don't tend to do well, do they? Which is a, a shame, really. Not that, you can, not that you can preempt that on a Monday afternoon or a Tuesday morning, but um, you know, everyone sees the same thing. Everyone goes down the same route and uh, everyone feels the same pain at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the week. Shame, shame, because he was he was absolutely ripe to win that last week. Fair, a fair play to Callum Shinkwin, though, to, to finish the way he did. Birdie Eagle, birdie on the playoff hole. And uh, Cali Samoya didn't do much wrong at all, really, I mean, other than missing the five-footer or so on the playoff to keep it going. No, it wasn't a good putt. No, no, the pressure was on by that point. You put your proper match play by that point, aren't you? And Shinkwin mm. had made his putt and, um, you know, it asked the question and... You ask the question in that kind of pressurised situation, and uh, you know, the answer can be uh, be something that you don't want to see. But so uh, yeah, that's a bit of redemption there for Shinquin because he he still had that uh, Scottish Open um, blow up haunting him back from twenty what was it twenty seventeen twenty eighteen maybe. 
He's he's put on a bit of bulk since then, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Like yes. You could really see it when they went <clears throat> went to the, the the 2017 pictures. You know, he was quite skinny, a bit of a whippet, and you know, he's added a bit of bulk and length. Yeah, he's filled out. He's, a bit. he's not he's not fat like Renton. He's just he's just a bigger boy now. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, a couple of years down the line, and uh, clearly been doing a bit of work in the gym. And yeah, uh, yeah it's, you know, he, he should he should move on from that. I think that will that will get that uh, that monkey off his back in terms of what what happened at uh, the Scottish Open a couple of years back, and uh, see him move on from there. He's certainly certainly capable of more, I would imagine. We shall see. Johannes Fearman was one that really caught the eye last week. You'd been on him quite recently, Barry, I think. The week before, yeah. The week before, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, <clears throat> then he, and he started playing really well last week, and I was like, well, you jackass, you know. Yeah. Well, he didn't, show, he didn't show me anything the week before to stay with him, so I was like, right, you're ditched, off yeah, to the yeah. bench, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he drifted away in the end, but his ball striking, was, you know, the stats that accompanied that were really, really strong. So perhaps another one to keep an eye on as we... Uh, an eye on as we go through the, the latter end of this European Tour season, which they've now added another three sunshine, well not sunshine tour, co-sanctioned South African tour events at the back end of the year before we go to Dubai. So we're going to be uh, going to be busy all the way up until the middle we're, of December this year. We're going to be back in David Drysdale, <laughs> the South African second place expert, saves his card. Yeah. Was Every it? year in South Africa, David Drysdale. He's been playing some better stuff, I suspect. He's was he leading at one point he was, last yeah. week? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was right in the mix. You knew that weren't going to last. That was right. But I didn't. I didn't expect. I didn't expect the the Falamaki destruction trade. No. I saw the first. I saw the first bogey. I thought, uh, uh. <laughs> and then next time I looked, fifteen minutes later, he was down in like sixth. Bogey, bogey. Yeah, I mean, to to his credit, if you can give him that, um, he did birdie the last to uh, to get us a slight slither of the each way places. But by that point, you're kind of um, past the point of caring, really. By that point, the uh, the bookmakers were doing a dance of delight, <laughs> a big sigh of relief as the unbacked Callum Shinkwin. But he would have been, like yeah. Again, he'd done. He hadn't done a great deal. He'd withdrawn in his previous event. A couple of miscuts prior to that. Um, one hundred and twenty-five to one, I think I saw about uh, Callum Shinquin. So that tells mm. you the story, doesn't it? Right. Two events pre-Masters this week. I know that everyone's excited about the Masters, and this week's almost like a sideshow. But we've got two events to talk through. I'm going to go with you first this week, Paul, because we have the Cyprus Showdown, and it is the most complicated golf tournament I've ever seen in my life. It makes the world match play look simple. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's another one of these um, hybrid events, shall we call it, where the, the, the European Tour have tried to um, differentiate the from the norm and uh, give, us, give us something a bit new and a bit innovative, which in the past has worked to a certain degree, hasn't it? We've seen the likes of the Super 6 and the Belgian mm. knockout and uh, the clock shot masters and a few a few things that have been quite well received. So it would be interesting to see how this goes. I guess they wanted to change things from because we we're playing two consecutive weeks on the same track as so the same track as we played last week. So they wanted to differentiate things a bit and 
mix it up a little bit. But um, I'll, I'll take you through the basics of it because once you understand it, it's relatively straightforward. Um, as per last week, we've got 105 players. And for the first two days, nothing changes really. We play stroke play for 36 holes. You'll have a normal leaderboard. Birdies are birdies, eagles are eagles. Um, and everyone will just uh, kind of jostle for position over that uh, leaderboard for the first two days. Um, at the end of Friday night, it gets interesting because you have a cut, which instead of being top 65 in ties, is top 32 in ties. So half of the players who would ordinarily make the cut are going to make the cut this time. Um, at that point, Saturday morning, everyone's scores are reset. So everyone's starting on level par. Um, so even if you were five shots, ten shots clear after 36 holes, you will start in a tie for the lead with your other 31 or whatever um, peers who have also made the cuts into the weekend. Um, everyone to play again, another 18 holes. Um, your stroke play is not match play, so don't get confused with these other hybrid events. Um, 18 holes of stroke play. At the end of Saturday night, there'll be another cut. It's a top 16 and ties, so the field's halved once again. And once again, Sunday morning, the scores are going to be completely reset again. So on Sunday morning, we will have a 16 plus tie for the lead going into the final day. And everyone will play 18 holes the following day and only those scores will count. So um, you're going to have to score particularly well on the Sunday should you get there. Um, big potential for a playoff given that everyone's starting on the same score. Um, so you can have a, a large playoff unless someone goes absolutely crazy on Sunday and uh, and separates them for the rest of the field. Um, but uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see how it's received. I, I expect Sunday will be um, very interesting. I expect Sunday will be um, a, a fun day to watch. Um, there'll be a lot of tales of woe, I'm sure, from players who are playing fantastically for two days. And if someone is five shots clear after 36 holes and ends up going home on Saturday night... Um, then they're going to be particularly aggrieved, I would expect. But uh, that is how this particular event is going to set up. So um, let's embrace it and let's see what happens. And uh, um, as we've seen with these other uh, hybrid events, we've got a couple of betting options to, to consider with this. Um, you've got the outright market, as you'd, as you'd expect. And most of the bookies have kept their same uh, terms that they've been offering over the last few weeks. So... Uh, ranging from five um, each way and a quarter of the odds to seven each way and a fifth of the odds. So on the outright market, if you get one of your players through to Sunday um, and you've got him each way, then you've got a pretty good chance of making some, some money out of that, given that you'll have um, approaching half of the field available, half of the places available, um, if you back them seven places each way. Um, the other option, of course, is you can go 36-hole um, leader, um, which means you'll just be betting on the players who are topping that leaderboard before all the fun and games starts over the weekend. And um, that's the same kind of thing that we've seen with these Super 6 and uh, Belgian knockout formats over the last few years, where you've got a choice of playing either or market, or you can play both. And um, over the last few years, I've kind of refined my strategy with that, um, to, to play even stakes across both markets so that you're not disappointed really if you if you end up backing everyone in the outright market and the guy that you've backed is uh, leading after 36 holes then does nothing you you feel particularly aggrieved and of course the other way around is you can have a player who just about scrapes into the weekend and then goes forward and wins and if you've only backed him in the 36 hole market then of course you again you're going to be um, pretty upset so 
um, half stakes and then just um, back them across both the 36 hole market and the um, the outright market as well is the how I am playing this and exactly how I've played the Super 6 and the BKO, BKO and uh, actually had some decent, reasonably good success in those events so fingers crossed that will um, manifest itself into something decent this week. Can I um, ask Barry a question? Go on. Barry, from a psychological perspective, from a you know player's perspective, is is this any is this completely different to a normal seventy two hole tournament? Do you think? I. It's difficult to know. It's, it's it? hard to know. I, like I, I, I've spoken about formats like this before, whether it's on this podcast or on or on my own one with James. Um, back when we were doing them um, and I thought it was a great format I mean just it, because it's all about constantly being on it or having the aggression to go after it's just forcing the aggression to, to keep scoring well and you don't always need to be the absolute best until the right moment so it's about uh, timing your run to a certain extent you know it's make it through make it through and then and then it's like go time um, I mean I I think it's a cool format. I'm really looking forward to to watching it. I don't know how it's going to go down. I don't even know if I'm going to put any bets on it. But I think it's one that the difference in this versus another tournament. Say if you went uh, compared it to an extreme example of a a ma- a tough major test where you're kind of just trying to ease your way into the tournament with just a few solid pars. This one doesn't really afford you that time to mess around and kind of get a feel for the event and how it's flowing. It's just get on it really quickly. Um, with that said, your, your risks have to be, you have to take a little bit more of a risk, but they have to be extremely well calculated and executed because a double bogey probably means you're gone. Barring, barring some serious, uh, serious run of birdies, a, a double bogey in this format, in any of the rounds, you're probably out of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's going to make for a pretty exciting watch. Uh, th- I th- they could have even gone as far as doing a cut to eight players after nine holes on the Sunday, just <laughs> run, reset it again. I mean, yeah, yeah. It just steer all the way into the skid. There, there's there's variety that you could have with this format that would you know can add more excitement to it. So um, I kind of hope it works because. You might get some players giving out about it, but it's once a year, you know, at this rate for this particular one. So I think it's a cool thing, you know. Um, you see different formats of the game. Come, I'm not comparing apples with apples, cricket with golf, but, you know, you've got the T20 has grown and grown and grown in popularity over the years for cricket. Um, I'm not saying this is going to be analogous to that, but it's going to be very interesting to see. Uh, I think it's going to favor the aggressive players um, you, a few of them will fall um, foul or victim to variance but <clears throat> by making doubles you know at the least at the, the least opportune moment but yeah I, I like the kind of aggressive birdie makers this week if I was going to pick anyone mm, yeah it's an interesting thought it's it's certainly going to shape a mindset with players as to how they approach it because you've got to be up to the pace I think the, the point you're making is, is absolutely mm. right is if the cut is at 32 in ties rather than uh, 65, you can't afford to plod along for the first two days. You've got to be, you've got to be um, really attacking this particular track and making making birdies and eagles and, and minimising your mistakes, as you say. Um, so, otherwise, you're going to be out of the uh, out of the tournament. 
just I mean, maybe a little angle, you know, to, to, to consider would be somebody who's been particularly successful at, say, Monday qualifying. Um, yeah. or has gone through a few a few bouts of tour school over their career. So you know, they've got that experience in those supremely high pressure one round mm-hmm. scenarios uh, and they and they can execute in those situations. So you know if you can identify one or two guys that you know have decent experience that match with maybe a little bit of recent form because that kind of you know boosts your confidence in choosing that guy, that, that could be an angle to, to be looking at. Yeah, yeah, plenty of ways you can cut this one, I think. Um, it, it's interesting how it's been priced up because if you think about it realistically, going into Saturday morning, maybe everyone resets um, in terms of their score. Um, you've, got a, you've got a 32-way tie for the lead. What's, mm. what's the um, what's the favourite going to be on Saturday morning? Um, you know, 20 to 1, 18 to 1. It's, uh, you, you, I don't think it's going to be a great deal shorter than that unless someone's played absolutely incredible goal for the first two days to really give the indication that they're you know head and shoulders above everyone else and that's kind of washed through to the main market because um 28 to 1 the field is the current um, mark so if you want to pick up the likes of a thomas detry at 28 to 1 or bobby mcintyre at 30 to 1 in this kind of field you'd normally get nowhere near that price um but that's where they are um Schwab's thirty-three to one. Garrick Higo won recently thirty-three to one. And um, Valimaki thirty-three to one. Rasmus Hogard, who's won twice over the last uh, few months, thirty-five to one. Rosner Kinnold, uh, Matthew Jordan, who's always friendly uh, underpriced. Um, Roman Langask, who won recently. Jost Lauten, forty to one. These players, um, because of the way the market sets up, that's the price point that they've had to be put in at. Uh, but it also means that the, the the whole market's a little bit more. Um, a little less stretched than you'd ordinarily see because you've got a lot of players around that 45, 50, 60, 66 to 1 mark who, again, if they make it through to the final 32, effectively going to be in that kind of, I don't know, 28, 33, 40 to 1 bracket again when they restart on uh, on Saturday. It will be interesting because, again, you're going you're gonna to get the same scenario going into Sunday, down to 60. What's the favourite going to be on Sunday morning? Eight to one, ten to one. Doesn't Saturday and Sunday they kind of set up like a short field first round leader markets? Because you're only betting on the one round, and but it's a shorter field. Yeah, although even if someone's you know, on Saturday, someone's gone gone shot sixty one, and they're mm. five shots clear of everyone else, they're still not going to be a ridiculously short prize because that that price, that score is going to get reset on uh, on Sunday morning. It, all it all it does is it tells you they're playing some good golf or they've had one good round of golf to, to suggest they may go off and, uh, and play well the following day. Yeah, good luck backing up a 61. <laughs> yeah, well this this is the point, isn't it? How many times do you see 61 62? You don't, is 61 71 is far more likely to be the uh, to, to be the way it manifests itself. So again, back to your point, it's those players who can uh, you, you can just peak and you know find that one low round, but at the exact right time of the tournament, mm-hmm. which is going to be Sunday. So uh, yeah, fascinating format, and um, I'll be yeah, I hope it works, Barry, and uh, I, you know it'd be fascinating to see how it uh, works out over the course of the four days and. What kind of uh, reception it gets from the players and the uh, commentators alike? I mean, in an ideal world, all sixteen would be playing at the same time in the same hole, <laughs> <laughs> just to really amp it up. I mean, it would say you, say you reduced it down to 
say you did uh, six holes, six holes, six holes. So you go from 18, or sorry, what is it? 16 down to eight players, down to four players for the last mm. six holes. And they're all playing together. And it's a shootout for the, the tournament over six holes. Right. But that, that that's kind of crossing over into the sixes a bit. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm assuming they're going to play it in, in in leaderboard order. So if you, whilst there's no, um, mm, based on your Saturday results. Yeah, exactly. So whilst there's no um, benefit in terms of your score to be um, top of the leaderboard at the end of any given day, um, if you end up getting a later tea time, then that may give you get some kind of yeah. At least you can see what mm. everyone else is doing. You, yeah, you get some some feel as to whether you need to really you know take that chance or not at any given point on the. Uh, on the afternoon on Sunday, but so, I mean, that's yeah. that's an advantage, you know, worth pursuing, you know, like to to keep to keep you kind of motivated to keep scoring and pushing at the end of your mm. Friday round and then also your Saturday round, because it's very easy to take the foot off the gas and become a little bit protective yeah, of yeah, your score because you don't want to make a big mistake to throw yourself out of it if you've got yourself comfortably inside the top half of the field going into. Um, this you know into this Friday evening or you know Friday going into Saturday and Saturday going into Sunday, it's going to be fun. There's going to be a lot of um, people avoid almost avoiding the top of the leaderboard for the Friday, and uh, because they don't want to make mistakes, so the, the 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 winner of the thirty six holes might actually get there by accident. Yes, yes, potentially. We'll see. It's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one. I. I I'm looking forward to it, and mm. we'll we'll embrace it this this year and see and um, see how it all pans out. But uh, I, I guess the one good thing with this is we've got uh, we've got the same course as last week, so we've seen the track, um, we've seen how it sets up. Um, PGA National um, in Cyprus, Aphrodite Hills Resort in Paphos. Um, it's six thousand nine hundred fifty six yard par seventy seventy one. Um, coastal resort track as we saw last week large bent grass bent grass greens fairly generous fairways it's a resort track it's designed for the uh, traveling golfer who comes along and, uh, and plays while they're on holiday so it's not overly difficult we saw last week 20 under was the winning total uh, that's uh, the, the, the the top two guys got to at the end 25 birdies over the course of the week was common um, lots of eagles as well. Three of the par fives are eagle chances. Um, there were 49 eagles altogether on those three par fives. It was only the third, which is the um, the one that's in excess of 600 yards that played a little bit tougher and didn't produce any eagles on the course of the week. The other three, as I say, um, they produced nearly 50 between them. Most of the field last week hit between 40 and 60% of um, fairways, so it was fairly... Uh, consistent in terms of who was hitting what and um, it was only really the greens of regulation that differentiated the top players and again 80% 86 wasn't an uncommon sight to see in terms of greens of regulation so um, accuracy wasn't the, the be all and end all hit greens and then um, make your putts and uh, if you can putt well on these bent grass greens then uh, then you can get yourself into a position to make a decent score and um, and that's all we've really got to go on, really, is last week. So at least, at least we have had chance to, uh, to to see how it played last week. Um, I mentioned before how I've played this in the past, or I've played these kind of events in the past. And um, what I've done this week is exactly how I've played the last couple of uh, events like this. And I've literally split my stakes between the outright market and the 36-hole market and just gone with three selections. So fewer selections, 
a point each way on each market for each player is how I've played it this week. So the three I've gone for, Jason Scrivener, firstly, at 50 to 1 outright, 45 to 1 in the 36-hole leader market. At one of the eye-catchers last week, um, he opened with a double on Thursday, recovered over the course of the week, shot 23 birdies in total, finished in a tie for six. Led the field for par 5 scoring last week, 13 under for the 16 looks that he had at the par 5s during the course of the week, which is pretty impressive and closed with a 64, which was only beaten by Callum Shinquin and with his eagle, or his birdie eagle finish. Um, other than that, Scrivener was the closest in terms of a Sunday performance. 80.6% greens in regulation was right up there with towards the top of the market. And if you go back to the Irish Open a few weeks before, he led the field for putting that week as well. So some good signs in both his long game and also on the greens. Uh, what got me though, what really uh, twisted it for me was last four, his last four Sundays um, scores. They read 68, 68, 65, 64. He's been scoring well on the Sundays and he gets more of that this week. Um, he's going to need more of that this week. Maybe he needs to go a shot or two deeper, I guess, on Sunday to lift the title. But um, he's certainly trending in the right direction in terms of his Sunday performances. So Scrivener, yeah, I think he's, he's ripe for a uh, European Tour victory. Um, Sammy Valenbaki has already got a, a, a European Tour victory. And I, I, you know, I, I thought long and hard about whether to stick with him this week and... Um, Went all around the houses with it, but I've backed him. I've backed him at 35 to 1 outright. I've backed him at 30 to 1 in the 36 hole leader market, too. And I guess, you know, save for those three holes on Sunday, and the tournament was his. He played some fantastic golf. And can he, will he get over that quickly? I think, you know, these, these youngsters who um, come on the tour and uh, can quickly brush off. Um, adversity, um, you know, they, they could potentially be the ones to back, to back and to follow. He's a five-time winner in um, in his uh, professional career so far across all the tours, so clearly he can go over the line. Um, when he won an Amman earlier in the year, which is another seaside track, by the way, um, he'd finished seventh on his previous start. Um, you had this other course double-header recently where we had the um, Celtic Manor, the two events at Celtic Manor. He finished sixth in the first one, he finished second the week after the Wales Open. So clearly once you've got a look at the course, worked it out, and then he came very close the following week. Um, so I'm going to stick with him, um, give him the benefit of the doubt this week, and hopefully uh, he can improve on the 25 birdies that he produced last week and really get himself back in the mix. His putting looked really good. It backed up that stat that you said earlier, Steve, where he was first for Greens and Regulation at Wentworth. So long game looking good, short game looking good. Putting looking good. Just don't make those mistakes on Sunday, please, Sammy. And bring home the bacon for us this week. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, so, Valimak is in. Jason Scrivener's in. The third and final um, player I've backed this week is Jeff Winter. Or Jeff Winter. 80-1 to 1 outright. 70-1 to 1 in the 36-hole leader market. And he was another eye-catcher last week. He led the field for putts per greens and regulation. At 1.59, finished 14th overall, um, and he putted uh, quite well earlier in the uh, since lockdown as well. The Scottish Open, which again I think is another good indicator for this. Quite a few of the players who performed well last week also showed some decent form at the Scottish Open, so that might be a good correlating course to look at for this week. Um, hasn't won on the European Tour, but he was second at Joburg Open back in 2016. 
fourth at the Spanish Open last year, third at the Qatar Masters before lockdown. And if you look at that Qatar Masters leaderboard, um, Cali Samoya was in there, he was third. David Drysdale, you mentioned Steve, was right, right yeah. up there last week. He Mr. Was South Africa. <laughs> he was uh, he was second at the Qatar Masters as well. Again, looking at the way the course sets up, I think there's some good correlation there as well. So um, potentially some course form to cross-reference there for for people who want to try and dig into it a little bit more. Both of those players, as I say, in the mix last week, both of them in the mix at the Qatar Masters, where, where Jeff was also um, in a tie for third. Um, if he's going to win, he's going to need a big final day, um, as all of them are. Um, for me, it's potentially a better 36-hole market player than the outright market, but I've stuck to my guns. I've backed these three players in both markets um, just to save any disappointment. Um, he has done well in one of these kind of uh, hybrid events before. After 36 holes, he was third into the weekend at the Belgian knockout back in 2018 after leading after the first round. Um, and he can close um, with a decent score. He shot 63 to finish off his Spanish Open effort that I mentioned earlier um, from last October. So he can shoot low in the final round. He can shoot low generally. Streaky kind of putter, very good putter when he's on form. And um, 80 to 1 outright, 70 to 1 in the 36 hole market seemed um, like a decent price to take. So they're my three, and that's where I'm drawing a line with it this week. And I'll just enjoy it. I guess from a punting perspective, don't be overly surprised if you back a few players and you've got no interest into the weekend or no interest into Sunday because um, it's pretty harsh, the, uh, the, the cut lines for this week. So um, you're yeah, going to get some. Serious playoffs on Saturday, aren't you? In all likelihood, trying to they're, get to that top sixteen. They're not playing off; they're doing it in ties, so they'll they'll, oh, they'll really? all go through. Yeah, yeah, which would yeah, have added another element of um, intrigue. That's so to disappointing. It, yeah, it could, mm. one of the options they could have taken, I guess, would have been. To I'd have liked a nice eight-man playoff for three oh, spots yeah. or one spot. I, 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 wonder, I suppose it could have taken five hours, though. Yeah, this is the point, isn't it? And um, you know they've got daylight issues to try and contend with as well. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was uh, they've decided to just put everyone through on that same mark. Which you know, if there's a lot of people tied for that last place, you could end up with twenty plus players going into the into the final day. But you know, I guess from their perspective, they they want it as close to sixteen as possible, and uh, and, and see how that manifests on Sunday. On the exchange, Falamaki 34, Scrivener 55, Jethinter 85. I wonder are they going to have to adjust the group sizings for Sunday then based on that happening if there are ties? Yeah, I don't know. You'd imagine they're playing two balls and just because uh, there's not many of them on the course and they can they can start it quite early. But um, and they might have one three ball if there's an odd yeah. number three. Yeah, rather than a guy on his own, it'd make more sense, wouldn't it? <laughs> off you go with Jeff Knox <laughs> he, Jeff needs to get a warm up in before Augusta next week yeah yeah, but yeah, you, you may not scamp around in two hours if you're doing that given that you're in a tie for the lead effectively you may, you may want to take your time and uh, yeah, and see how everyone else is getting on won't you? we don't have any Cyprus players playing in the Masters next week no? Uh, not that I've seen no it's a pretty poor field in effect Steve so so, We've yeah. got Rasmus flying Bermuda to America to... Well, I don't know. I take it he probably went Bermuda, Heathrow, Cyprus. Hmm. That's a journey. Yeah, it was an odd one, isn't it? As soon as he didn't play last week for him to, to pitch up this week. But, uh, but yeah, he's still in the field at the moment. So, um, hmm. 
Let's see if he's got any jet lag. He's, he's, he's racking up some uh, some air miles. Mm. Right, let's talk Houston Open. It's a it's a wacky uh, golf golf world that we live in. I mean, Houston Open has always been the traditional Masters cur- curtain raiser um, in its April slot. Then it moved at the end of last year to a full series kind of spot. Uh, away from the Masters and then lo and behold the Masters moves to it in 2020 and we've now got the Houston Open and the Masters in November it's just a crazy I don't know how we got there but we've got there Um, the other thing is the Houston Open this time around has moved to a new golf course so it's always been played at what I always used to know as Redstone that then got changed to the Golf Club of Houston uh, but now, basically, the uh, Houston Astros owner, Jim Crane, has got behind this tournament to keep it on the PGA Tour and keep it in Houston. And he wanted this golf uh, tournament to be played at Houston's main municipal golf course, which is uh, where we're playing it this week, uh, Memorial Park Golf Course. Now, this golf course caters for 60,000 rounds per year. And uh, Barry, Paul, and myself could go and play there for thirty-five dollars. That's it's some a bad value. deal, really, is it? To play a PGA Tour golf no. course. Um, and that's the goal here. Uh, he, he's they pumped in almost twenty million dollars to get this golf course up to a kind of PGA Tour professional level. And he gave the uh, the renovation job to Tom Doak, who I think. Uh, did the Renaissance Club build, which mm-hmm. was where they played the Scottish Championship yeah, a few yeah, weeks yeah, ago? Yeah, 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 Scottish Open. Yeah, yeah, he's done one or two courses around the around the world. Mm. <laughs> yeah, quite prolific. But Brooks Kepka was involved as well, wasn't he? Kepka was a player consultant. So when you when we go and play uh, this golf course in the future. Um, which clearly we will. We'll fly out to Houston and play it one week in our private jet. Um, your your scorecard comes with Brooks Kepka's signature on the back. Very nice. I don't think he signs them all individually. <laughs> I think it's printed. Yeah. But anyway, you get the gist. He didn't want to be officially linked to the golf course, but he's PGA to a player consultant. And reading through his input, he didn't want long of a, a, a plethora of long par threes. He wanted gettable par threes. And this is coming from the Doak Design website. With our consultant, Brooks Kepka, we agreed that our priority should be not to defend par. <laughs> oh, that's funny on the PGA Tour. Should not be to defend par, but to provide opportunities for dramatic lead changes and excitement for both golfers and fans. The first test of its success will be in November 2020. So... It was a bit of a it's a it's a tough old um, tough old um, brief really for Doak. It's kind of we want you to refresh the golf course, and it needs to be PGA Tour standard for one year week and a really exciting golf course that amateurs can play for the other fifty one weeks. Mm. Uh, Steve, the only thing they have to do for the PGA Tour week is just water the shit out of the golf course. The rest of the year they just let it go dry and firm, and then it's fun for the regular golfer. Mm. 
Well, when I'm reading, uh, our priority is not to defend par. <laughs> it tends to suggest 25 to 30 under par, doesn't it? Yeah, it does shout birdie fest, doesn't it? You raised the very good point off Mike. Um, the Byron Nelson moved to Trinity Forest for a couple of years, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Which was a really innovative uh, design in Dallas, uh, which was basically a faux links. Supposed to play firm and fast. Crenshaw and Craw design. Mm-hmm. Core design. Firm and fast. Crazy, crazy sort of green designs and different, uh, you know... Um, Elevation changes and uneven lies, and they just watered the living hell out of it for two years, didn't they? Because they didn't want to upset the PGA Tour members and scare them off from playing. And what and what happened? It just became a meaningless and bland golf tournament, and it's gone from there anyway. So why not play the course like it's intended to play instead of watering the shit out of it? You, you know, the, 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 this week-on-week score fest is just... You, it's like... It's the same thing. It's just, it's like watching golf on Groundhog Day. Yeah, it's, that's why Bermuda last week was interesting, wasn't it? Because it was a small yeah. coastal golf course with 35-mile-hour winds. It was... Brilliant. For two days, yeah. it was actually very different. Yeah. So, mm. like, embrace the differences between the golf courses. You know, not all golf courses are the same. Not No two golf yeah. courses are the same. So... You should embrace the unique characteristics of it. And a course like this, um, not having seen it fully in depth on TV, let's say, with you know really great pictures from the, uh, the cameras, it, it feels like the style that you'd get at Pinehurst number two, with you know maybe with less bunkers, but those elevated kind of greens, yeah. runoff areas, you're able to put it up. I like what they're saying about the, the idea of the, for the course is like remove the bunkers, which are... You know, easier for pros, but hazards yeah. for amateurs. Amateurs can still get the ball up onto the green with a putter or a hybrid or a wood or, you know, bump and runs. It sounds, the debris for the course sounds brilliant if they let the course play like it's designed to play. So, please, I hope, like, somebody sabotages the water pumps this week. That would be, you know. I get the feeling, this is my view, it's a 7,432-yard par 72 it features five par fives and five par threes the fairways look like they're Heathrow airport wide <laughs> there are trees on the golf course you've got to be very very wayward I think on, on most of the drives to be getting into tree trouble and apparently and you can see it it's not exactly Wentworth kind of depth of density of tree it's kind of sparse <laughs> Um, there hasn't been a lot of water in the build-up, so I think you're going to get firm fairways, long run, not overly penal rough, and green complexes that are watered beyond existence. I think it's uh, it's going to be taken apart. <laughs> and that, to me, suggests you know people are talking about oh yeah, there's no yeah no bunkers yeah I've got that. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of runoff around the greens. Lot of, you know the odd false front, and I think you're going to be able to get away with just putting, putting from off the green. Um, and I think if you're a high GIR monster and you're hitting a lot of greens, you're going to be cantering up a good score here. Bearing in mind that the the, the first they're playing, 
is a 500 yard hole. It normally plays as par four, but the PGA Tour have said it's a par five this week. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. Boys, we're going for a new scoring record on the PGA yeah. Tour this week. We're, game, we're going for 38. Because I, I read, oh, this will play as a par 70, a stretching 70, and then a, a lot of the locals say, well, normally we play it as a 71, and then the scorecard comes out and they've changed the first from a par four to a par five. My lord. <laughs> Since we need to find a market for a 59 this week, then. A 58. Oh, God, this is going to be. Uh, yeah. It puts me off a few because it puts me off a few players because when you get when you get a golf course that's going to clearly be scorable, it, it, and especially when we're having a run at the moment of 200, 275 to 1 winners, it lowers the bar, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it, anyone could come along and win this. Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't separate the field. It kind of condenses it even more. Mm. So I, I, I think it's an angle where you want to look for guys that are free scorers, and there are players towards the top of the. Uh, a lot of the elite kind of players, they don't tend to play many of these birdie fests, do they? I know it's becoming more common. But you know, usually they they play a schedule of Memorial and Quail Hollow, where you know a good fifteen under par wins, not like twenty eight, twenty nine. This kind of ridiculous scoring level. Mm. Um. So yeah, if if you see Tony Fee now winning his second PGA Tour title at twenty to one this week at twenty seven under par, you know, or Hideki Matsuyama, it just doesn't feel right, does it? It doesn't. And Tony, Tony's not going to destroy his each way price for the Masters next week, is he? Surely. <laughs> so back Tony for you now. Um, then Mini Verdi Bermuda Grass Greens. Now Mini Verdi Bermuda Grass is pretty. It's become less common on the PJ Tour. It tends to be now all Tiff Eagle or Champion. Um, if you're looking for some course comps, um, they still got Mini Verdi t- to give it its full title. Mini Verdi Tiff Dwarf Greens at East Lake where they played the Tour Championship. They also have the same green uh, greens at uh, TPC Louisiana, where they play that team event. And if you go back in time, they used to play the same kind of green surfaces at the players, TPC Sawgrass. And they used to also play them at Quail Hollow, I think 14, 15 and 16, the Wells Fargo. Your friend James Harm won one of those, Barry. So James Hahn is a Mini Verdi Bermuda Grass Green winner. Tip bit for you. Um, the greens at the golf course of Houston where they used to play this were Mini Verdi Bermuda Grass, but they used to overseed them for the Masters. So they used to have velvet bent grass on the top of them and played like bent grass. Last year they didn't know. Uh, they played as this Mini Verdi. That was the one that Lanto Griffin won. And Lanto's getting some interesting... Uh, is being well back this week. Personally, I tend to stay away from defending champions, especially first-time defending champions on the PJ Tour. But I will say one thing about Lanto. He defended a title on the web.com called Ferry. And uh, he won it one year, and then he went and defended it, finished second the year that he defended the year after. So he has had some experience and good positive experience of defending a professional title. So Griffin could be one to look at. 
apart from that, it's difficult to kind of. I mean, five par fives was the thing for me. But it's it's just gonna. I'd be amazed if this is six, fifteen, sixteen under par. I think it's going to go a lot deeper than that. Yeah, I it really sound do. Like it, does it? Bearing in mind, Russell Henley won 2017 at the old golf course at 20 under. I think it's going to have a two on the end of it, a two at the start of it even, the, the winning score. Right. With all of this crazy prices at the moment, chasing short prices doesn't seem to be the way ahead overly. I also had a quick look, and this might be of interest to listeners. I looked, going back to the start of 2015, at winners of tournaments the week before a major. And it's quite an interesting pattern, actually. 2015, Jordan Spieth won the John Deere Classic the week before the Open. Uh, we've had, of course, some of these events tend to be WGCs with a elite field. So Lowry won 2015 at... The um, what was it called? Firestone South, which used to be the old yeah, WGC yeah. Bridgestone. We've seen Dustin Johnson win. We've seen twice. He's he's won both the WGC. He also won the um, the FedEx and Jude Classic the week before the U.S. Open in 2018. He was ranked at two in the world for both of those. Spieth was ranked two in the world last year. Rory McIlroy won the Canadian Open the week before Pebble Beach. He was ranked four in the world. So, and we had Justin Thomas this year winning the WGC at St Jude the week before the PGA. He was three in the world. So, looking at that, if you were going to choose one, you could say, "Well, Dustin Johnson's going to come out post COVID." Him not playing doesn't really bother me because he's he's won quite a few tournaments after months of inactivity. Um, you, he could just come out and keep that form going and win this at what I'm seeing fifteen to two out there, but that's that's an option. There's a couple of winners dotted around the, the high forties. Uh, Larry was forty eight in the world. Berger was forty three and forty six when he won two years on the trot at Southwind. Uh, Poulter was 51st in the world when he won the uh, the year he qualified for the Masters here at Houston. He was 51. We've also seen JB Holmes win. Uh, he was ranked 20 in the world when he won at 2015 here at the Houston Open, although it was on a different course. Um, and then you just get some just weird and wacky 203s and all manner of stuff. Uh, so I know... Sun Kang's interested you. He won last year, the week before the US Open, in Texas. Mm. Uh, yeah. it was second in this back in what 2017, wasn't it? He's got absolutely no form. He's a huge price. He's likely to win. <laughs> 400 to 1 I'm seeing out there on Sun Kang. Is he? That's crazy, but then his form sort of is crazy, but this is it. Anything can pop right now. Mm. Um, you, I looked at Brian Guy. It was absolutely, as you said, Paul, at the top of the show, if you wanted a 200-1 to 1 player that was short, good on coastal courses and had hideous form, Brian Guy was your man. Yeah. And if you back like that, I wouldn't have thought Sun Kang is a bad bet this week, uh, especially at that kind of price. But I have gone for the old route of Bermuda positive players and kept it quite simple. I do think 
Bombers will go well this week. Uh, my prices are relatively short. Well, I'll say now, I mean, 25 to 1 is the shortest. I've gone for Scotty Scheffler at the top. Texas boy, long as you like. For the length of driver this guy at, he is a brilliant driver of the golf ball. Um, he's sitting in the top 15 over the last eight weeks for driving accuracy, and he's bombing it 320. You just get the feeling that these five par fives, he's going to take them apart. Um, his, the difference between him since the Tour Championship, where he finished second across the 72-hole score, and he was fifth in the strokes gained index, yeah. Bear in mind, that was on Mini Verdi, yeah. Um, his approach play hasn't got back to that peak of where it was before he caught COVID, but it's warming. Uh, it was negative, negative, then it was positive, and then last time out at the Zozo, he was um, better with his irons, and he shot, uh, I think he was fourth at 36 holes, so he's clearly getting there. And you say to Scotty Scheffler, you know, mentally, strokes gained, strokes gained uh, mental, if you look at it, or strokes gained motivation. He's in Texas. He hasn't won on the PGA Tour. He's playing the Masters next week, and I'm sure Scotty would like to play well there, but I doubt if he really thinks he's going to win there. This week, though, big opportunity. So I just thought 25 to 1, two points each way of William Hill on the eight places for Scotty Scheffler, who's clearly does like Bermuda grass. And bearing in mind, this guy shot 59 last, 59 in August, didn't he? On a par 71 golf course oh, yeah, yeah. in Boston. And, yeah, he's shown some very good scoring form um, post-lockdown, yeah. He's not putting positively from a strokes game perspective, but he's still in the top 20 for putts per GIR. So when he's hitting greens, he's converting chances. Hmm. And I, you do see this disparity, and and the Amer- the American strokes gained way of oh, you you, you know, you've got to be positive for strokes gained putting, but that isn't really the case, is it? I, in a way, I like the balance of the two. If he's if someone's still making a good putting average and is still converting their chances when they've made a green in regulation, they're getting the ball in the hole ultimately, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Scoring. Yeah. Doesn't matter that they're not making fifty yard putts; they're just making lots of six and seven foot putts. Yeah, I, I, I like I, like you just said there. I like to look at a blend of the two numbers, really. And uh, again, you can build a narrative around one or the other, can't you? Depending how you want to you, you, mm. you want to tailor it. But um, if you if if you can find a player who's seemingly putting well um, from one of the metrics, then it can point you in a certain direction. Tyrrell Hatton, you know, he's in my, you know, with a player like Hatton, he's making good yardage and he's making lots of putts. Yeah. Um, you're not getting the you're not getting the positive yardage with Scheffler, but to still be sitting in the top twenty in my eight week tracker for putts per GIR, he's clearly getting the ball in the hole. Yeah. So QED ring. Um, I've then gone for our old friend. There was a little bit of sixty sixes yesterday morning or yesterday afternoon. That soon got snapped. Um, there's 50 to 1 out there right now. I've taken the eight places on 45s. I'd be happy with 45 to 1 winner. I've gone one and a half points each way. Siwoo Kim. Um, I just think Siwoo's trending towards something. And as we know, two time winner, two time winner on the PJ Tour, both wins on Bermuda Grass. I won't list out all of his amazing finishes on Bermuda Grass. Um, 
He was fifth for strokes going tee to green last time out at Shadow Creek. And I saw um, on YouTube, you know, a lot of these, um, every shots are now available on YouTube. Mm. And I watched him play with Rory McIlroy in round one. And he played some fantastic stuff from tee to green, Sea Wukin. Yeah, and he had been putting particularly well prior to that, hadn't he? So um, if you marry the two together, um, then it's just about due a big week, isn't it? I, whether Siwoo Kim can get to 22, 25 under par, I don't know. Well, the but saying that, it? well, I'm going against myself here. He, if you actually think about it, a few weeks ago at the Shriners, he was 18 under par to finish in a tie for eighth. Mm. And that came with a minus 269 in round four. So actually, if he'd have shot, I don't know, 67, 66, he'd have been virtually tying for the lead up there with Wolf, Cook and Laird. And we'd have all been... Oh, well, he can he can make birdies. It's just... I think a lot of this is schedules, isn't it? And what courses you play. So I've gone for Siwoo Kim. I know Barry, you'd have probably gone for him if he was 150 to 1, wouldn't you? But <laughs> That's too short at 150s. Uh... <sighs> Would you have taken... You'd have had him at 66s, I think. I don't know. He burnt me so many times. It's yeah, just the pain. He'll come, the pain. Good. He'll come good at some time. See, we I know, but it's hard. Like you know, it, 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 it requires several therapy sessions. The <laughs> other thing with Kim, the other thing with Kim is, and I still love this angle at this time of year. He's 88th in the world. He needs. He 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 would crave a big big finish to get him close to the world's top 50. The same can be said for another one, and if you. As I said, Barry, soft greens. I think if you're a greens in regulation monster, you've got a chance this week. Corey Connors. I've gone one and a half points each way, 55 to 1. We bet Fred seven places each way on Corey Connors, who, again, is a terrible, diabolical putter. Absolutely diabolical putter. They also say he's an auto bogey if he misses a green. Well, this place might not be so bad because he hasn't got to chip so much. He can part from off the green. But actually, when I'm looking at the statistics for him, bear in mind uh, he finished like a train in the final round last time we saw him at the Zozo. If you actually look across my eight-week trackers, which were available, of course, in my preview this week, he's sitting in the top 17 for strokes game putting right now. And he's also... Doing a half decent job with his with his scrambling. So you look at his strokes gain numbers from putting perspective. The only time he he, he really does get deep in those numbers is on Bermuda grass greens. And actually, you look at his history. Prior to the Corn Ferry, he played a couple of years down in South America on the Latino America tour. So it kind of makes sense that he's very used to Bermuda grass greens. Uh, in the southern hemisphere, and, and all of you know Mexico and the his one win on tour was in Texas. Yes, and it was the week before the Masters. <laughs> it was last year. Dun, dun, dun. Why would you back anybody else this week, people? <laughs> now those greens did have a overseed, but they were Bermuda grass base. So yeah, I think Corey Connors is a good shout this week. Uh, and then I've gone for a guy that seems to be absolutely friendless in the market, but is an absolute Bermuda grass monster. 
uh, and he was fourth as recently as three three weeks ago or four weeks ago. The postman, JT Poston. 90 to 1, eight places each way with Paddy Powell. I'm seeing no one backing him whatsoever. I think Poston's a great shout this week. Yeah, what was that? Sedgefield. He had the high finish with it. He won. He won at Sedgefield. He was sorry. I I I I sold him short. He was third at the Sanderson Farms Championship. That's right. Yeah. yeah. A seven thousand four hundred yard par seventy two, on the you know at the start of October. Mm. Um, and actually, he's a like a three ten hitter. Most of them are these days, aren't they? He's not sure. He averaged 309 yards off the tee at the CJ Cup last time at Shadow Creek. I know that's at altitude a little bit, but he's definitely a 300-plus driver of the golf ball. So if he wants to get it out there, he can. Poston's weakness is his driving accuracy, but when you've got fairways this week that are kind of huge and wide, that kind of takes that out of the equation, and there isn't a lot of water around landing areas. Um, there was at Shadow Creek when he finished 51st last time. So you, you're missing fairways. You can be very wet, and I expect he was. Um, <laughs> but his approach plays sharp right now, and he is a formidable, formidable Bermuda grass putter because he's from South Carolina. Um, uh, he lives in St. Uh, Simon's Island, Georgia, with you know in that golfing commune over there on the Atlantic coast. And by that guy can go low. I think when he won the um, Bermuda, he won at 22 under the Wyndham Championship. So give him a birdie fest. Bermuda Greens, I just really like his chances. Eight, all seven of his highest official world golf ranking results have come on Bermuda grass fairways with Bermuda grass rough. He's a, you take him on anything rye grass or anything upstate, nowhere near as effective. Mm. Just He knows what he likes and he knows yeah, how, how the ball reacts. Yeah. I tell another one I came close to, who's triple digits, Brant Schnedeker. Yeah, he's been showing some form, hasn't he? Mm. The result, results, you know, if you eyeball the actual result line, it doesn't look that great, but there's there's been snippets in there of... Uh, yeah, but he's been, he's, been in the la- he's been in late groups on Sunday, his last two outings. Mm. And I read a, read some notes with him, and he said that he's completely changed his whole back group. Back, I think he's got a new caddy, he's got a new swing coach. He's basically revolutionised the yeah. whole team. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, Brandt is actually hitting some fairways, a good amount of them. Um, and we just know he's a phenomenal putter. Yeah, yeah. Last bit of Bermuda as well, doesn't he? Whether he's got the real... Power and grunt to to overpower this golf course, don't know. But uh, he's also a f- he's a phenomenal scorer. Um, if we're going right down into the depths, which I know you you guys must be having a field day this week, um, definitely. The one that I thought was quite good is Andrew Landry. Two hundred twenty-five to one with bet three six five. He's two hundred to one generally. He's been playing some nice golf under the um, under the under the radar, Landry. Yeah. It's another one and who he does, he does get like over the twenty-eight line. under par winning score, doesn't yeah. he? <laughs> yeah, it's another one who has, has proven that he can actually go over the line where so many yeah. just stutter towards the end. He's like it? a T. He's like a TBJ, isn't he? When he when he's in contention, he wins. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> he beat Scheffler at the PGA West aid earlier this year in a in a shoot in a shoot. Uh, him, it was it. Well, I think it was him, Answer and Scheffler and and Landry never blinked. 
just took them took them out. Yeah. Right. Who who are you guys backing at ridiculous odds this week? Done. You go, Barry. I've, I've only got one that I've backed. Um, it's a, you go first. You mean one that you're officially announcing on the podcast, <laughs> but you're actually backing a whole bunch in the on the sly. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm going to I am going to back Sun Kang now that we've uh, mentioned him far too many times for me not to back him. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just did as well. Um, I'm I'm going to go with James Han this week. Uh, he has had three top tens his last three outings is a green and regulation machine at the moment and that's I really like that angle this week um just giving himself lots of looks at uh at birdies so uh let's see can he continue that or maybe just up that form just a little notch more um it doesn't seem afraid of going low either in terms of scoring so that's uh, it's a little plus for him this week um I've, I've a, f- a few others uh John Huh was good in his last outing. You say you've gone for Han and Huh. Han and Huh, yeah. Um Just to, let me stop you, Barry. In my yeah. in my trackers this week, James Han ranks second for strokes gain total. Yeah. And he also ranks sixth for strokes gain T to green. And you're grabbing him at eighty to one. Makes a lot of sense. Off the back of what three consecutive top ten finishes? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he's a winner on Mini Birdie Bermuda Grass Greens at Quail Hollow. So yeah. he, I've got a post-it note, and he was the last off the shortlist. So there you go. That's a that's please, a good tip. Please, please don't back him, Steve. I need <laughs> no, this. I need him. this I'll, win. I'll let you I... take them. I'll take. <laughs> My only doubt with him is, is how many players do you see go four straight each way returns? On the PGA Tour. It's a rarity, isn't it? It is a rarity. He is also not playing them consecutive weeks. He's had no, breaks no, in no, between. That's them, true. So, He's got so gaps that is, that is a help. Like If he was playing week on week, I would really struggle to, to do yeah. that. But he's had a little break, so... He's not going to, yeah, he's not coming He's on off. a major medical, so he must be getting very, very close to ticking the box on that. With top tens, yeah, for mm. sure. Especially you know, for the fifth, the sixth, and the ninth. Like, there's some decent points in yeah. there. He just needs to get what is it? This equivalent points of the last qualifying player from the previous season. You got it. Yeah, he's 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 ticking along nicely there. So, um, a couple of others, just long ones. But uh, before that, would we'll pass over to Paul before I dominate the the long shots. Mm. Yeah. The- I, I nearly, well, I haven't backed Denny McCarthy, but he was one that tempted me. I will back Sun Kang because um, we talked about him off mic and uh, you made a very good case from earlier, Steve, as well. So he's going in. Uh, the one I have backed is Keith Mitchell at 250 to 1, who hasn't done a great deal since lockdown. But prior to that, he was fifth at the Arnold Palmer. Um, 49th last week doesn't shout. Um, impending victory but then if you look back to his win at the Honda Classic last year um, on Bermuda Greens he beat uh, Fowler and Kepka that week um, and that was off a of very little form and he won at uh, 300 to 1 that week mm. um, he actually closed last week with a 66 which gives him, gives him a little bit of momentum coming into this ball striking looked really good first for, to- first for total driving last week um, on uh, at Bermuda so clearly found something with his long game as well which I think if you're hitting long and finding fairways you're going to give yourself an awful lot of chances this week um, so an aggressive player like Mitchell could well um, 
compete, I think. Sixth in Texas in the past um, at the 2018 Houston Open. Third at the Byron Nelson as well at 2018, which you mentioned a little bit earlier. So there's a few things tying him into this, I think. And uh, his current form line looks awful, hence the reason you're getting 250 to 1. But um, I mm. don't think you need to dig that deep into it to find that there's a little bit more to like about him this week. Um, there weren't enough first round leader markets up to back in first round leader but if I can get somewhere circa 150 to 1 for first round leader as well then um, he's the kind of player who can pop up very early on as well in a tournament so well worth a look on that market as well for Keith but yeah it's, it's the only one that I've backed so far um, and I will back, will back Sung Kang at that mad price you mentioned earlier Mitchell is ridiculously Bermuda grass positive mm, I think he's Floridian isn't he so yeah makes all the sense in the world mm. yeah but uh, yeah that's that's me Barry Gunn you, you, you finish us off this one I, I don't know like I mean who is it was it one of you guys said Sean O'Hare is pretty oh, decent he's Texas to... he's a Texas I looked on the predictor model and I just we've got a Texas result variable and it runs over five years. And I, I, I looked at it and it was just madness. He was like in the top four in the field. I thought that could be wrong. And when I looked into it, oh no, it's just it's a litany of Texas results. It's one I after mean, the other. Like if if you're gonna just pick something like that as a last week, yeah, Brian Gay had good results in Bermuda, but like crap leading up to it. Mm. Um, oh, it was absolutely. Sean O'Hare has a miscut of 14 to miscut and a miscut as his last four outings. I, for shits and giggles, like I also, you know, just uh, point people towards a, a podcast. I think it was the golf.com one with Colt Nost. Um, the Sean O'Hare one was uh, very interesting to listen to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a bit of a fan of his since that. So, yeah, 300 to 1. Why not? Kevin Tway is another one that's slowly but surely starting to find his way. Kevin Tway, slowly but surely, he's been absolute dire garbage. Mm. Um, yeah, he did have a purple patch in this kind of full series a couple of years back, didn't he? Two or three years back, I think. Seem to recall. Tway won at Silverado, the first event a couple of years back, and yeah. I, I, he he was one of the ones that dined out on it. I think I think he hit the um, he hit the champagne or whatever. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm counting six or seven missed cuts in 2019 in a row. And, oh, my Lord, at the start of 2020, I'm counting eight missed cuts this year. Just You just notice with his numbers, they're starting to get better. He's getting better at what's, you know, hitting the ball straight, long, and hitting some fair, and hitting actually hitting some greens. Um, he was 40th last week. You can just tell these players when the fund, they're clearly working on fundamentals that are their strengths, and eventually something will click and they'll just hit the ground running. Tway's got some decent results in um, Texas as well. So, yeah, I mean, we could mention 700, we could we could mention <laughs> 70 of these long shots, couldn't you? <laughs> just through the field. Yeah, yeah, there's a few you could uh, you could pin a little bit on too. So, um, so I expect DJ wins. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it very much. Uh, there'll be a few interesting long shots for first round leader as well from some of these guys you know you can definitely find some long odds out there yeah. uh, and, and uh, that's that's my kind of like long odds week just 
one today. You, uh, before we go, do you like to on first round leader? Do you do you look at the their closing round at the last tournament and if they've got momentum? You know, See, so a good a decent Sunday becomes a great Thursday the next time they play. Is there, is there something in that? Um, it's certainly you're you're kicking on into it with a decent vibe. You know, if, if you're thinking back to what was my last round and you shot like a sixty four or sixty five to close out the tournament. Mm. You know, you're starting off the next one with a very positive frame of mind. So, yeah, it's a, you know, have a look at who's got, a, you know, obviously their first round scoring average for uh, recent events and also for that particular course, if you can find that. Yeah, yeah. And um, then, you know, that'll give you a little short list. And, you know, having a look at what they shot, like on the weekend or the Sunday uh, before this event, that, that could be the little thing that helps you choose between one or two guys or to try cut that shortlist down to a manageable number of players to back. Because it's interesting, Mal Natty finished like a train at the Shriners Open and then last week he got first round leader at the Bermuda Open, uh, yeah. Bermuda Met Championship. Yeah, mm. it does happen. It does, does happen yeah. where you maintain that momentum for another, another round. Mm. That's us then. When are we, uh, when are we recording our um, Masters Research podcast. Well, are we going to do so that Wednesday, be, Thursday? Yeah, Thursday probably makes more sense. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll agree it off air and um, we'll, we'll get Thursday. it out to listeners as soon as we possibly So we, can. there will be a Masters Research podcast out either Thursday evening or Friday morning. And then we'll do our usual Tuesday podcast next week for the 2020 Masters. It's been a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you for your time. Yeah, best of luck, guys. Good luck, everybody. Best of luck to you two and best of luck to listeners. As I said, great time to get a five-star review in on Apple Podcasts. We will read it out across the next two Masters podcasts. So uh, if you could do that, it'd be wonderful. I appreciate your time and we'll see you again very soon. Goodbye.